0: Can you hear the voices of the children? The hearts of the children, the cries of the children. It's a haunting, haunting piece. The composer of that piece named Kurt Bester, he wrote this piece, Prayer of the Children, as the Civil War unfolded in the country, formerly known as Yugoslavia in the mid-90s. He had lived there in the 70s. He had been friends with a variety of people across ethnic lines, and so he watched the Civil War unfold, and he watched families and children be torn apart. And he wrote that piece in response. And the piece is certainly about children, but it's also about adults as well. When adults' world fall apart, we may be grown up and wear these adult costumes, ties, and suits and have adult jobs and do adult things, but we cry out too when our hearts are broken, when the world around us spirals into violence and chaos, when we feel disconnected from life and hope itself, we cry out too. We cry out in anguish and despair and desperation. We cry out for love and safety and security. We cry out for home in such moments like children, We cry out for unconditional love and wholeness. Another word, another word for what we cry out for to name that longing is grace. Grace as a gift that we do not earn, but a gift that is simply offered, a love that is simply extended without conditions, a love that holds us, can hold us, will hold us. As a people, as a community of faith, we may not talk about grace very well. We may stumble in how we speak of it. We may not be very articulate in how we name those moments. But we seem to know it when we have an experience of grace, when we are held in that unconditional love. We know this. We know this because if we think of the word disgrace, disgrace, not grace ungrace we know that feeling very well when we feel disgrace we feel shame we feel embarrassed we feel exposed we feel stigmatized we see we feel seen in a way that we did not want to be seen disgrace is an absence of grace when we feel grace we have an experience of setting aside the mask that James Baldwin speaks of, putting aside that mask. And instead of feeling shame in our nakedness and vulnerability, we feel ourselves held in this ocean of being, this ocean of love, if you will. There's a deep sense of OKness that holds us. That helps our spirits rest, even expand, even step toward growth and new possibilities. We let down our defenses when we have that experience of grace, of being held. Grace can be powerful, life-changing, transforming. It can upend everything we've known. It can change lives and hearts and behaviors. man named John Newton had a moving experience of grace, of a love that surrounded him and held him. And in one telling of this story, in one version of the story, maybe you know this version that's out there, he was a slave trader. In the mid-1700s, he was in the slave trade, and he had this experience of surviving a storm, this tremendously big storm at sea. And upon the ending of that storm and his realization that he was still alive had made it through, he wrote this amazing hymn, amazing grace. He repented for his, his profiting from the slave trade. He gave up the slave trade and began his life anew. That's the myth anyway about that song amazing grace that's the story that's often told about that song and this morning i want to look at where grace is really operating in this story and where it is absent what amazing grace might be and what authentic grace might be the story i just shared with you and maybe you've heard some variation of that story that john newton was a slave trader survived a storm repented of his slave-trading ways and wrote this hymn, that is a whitewashed version of the story. It's a false telling of the story that allows a white man to be a hero and to give other white folks permission to distance ourselves from the horrors of the slave trade, the horrors of slavery, and the ideology of white supremacy. In that mythic telling of the story, a good white man has an experience, and does the right thing. But when we apply a racial justice lens to the history of this song, Amazing Grace, a different story of grace emerges. So let's explore this story for just a moment this morning. John Newton was born in 1725 to a father who was a mariner, who was in the ship business and, in fact, involved in some of the slave trading. At a young age, John Newton began to work with his father on slave ships. He was like 13 or 14 when that started. In his early 20s, John Newton began to make his living in the slave trade, first as a buyer of human beings and then as a captain of his own ship. He did have a conversion experience. That is true. He became a Christian in 1748. He was 23 years old. There was a storm, a tremendous storm. They thought the ship was going to sink. It didn't. And he had this experience of God's grace and love and presence in his life. I have no doubt that experience was real for John Newton. And he felt held by a force, a presence much greater than himself. This moment of grace. But experiencing grace doesn't necessarily mean that we extend grace to others. It doesn't necessarily mean we start to see the underlying wholeness and connectedness of creation. So it wasn't this experience in 1748 of the storm that prompted the song. The song came much, much later. In fact, after this conversion experience, this grace-filled moment of surviving the storm, Newton remained active in the slave trade. He kept extensive notes about the practices, the best practices of the slave trade from his journals. With our ships, he noted, the great object is to be full. The cargo of a vessel of 100 tons or a little more is calculated to purchase from 220 to 250 slaves. Their lodging rooms below the deck are sometimes more than five feet high and sometimes less And this height is divided towards the middle, he writes, for the slaves lie in two rows, one above the other, on each side of the ship, close to each other, like books upon a shelf. I have known them so close, he writes, that the shelf would not easily contain one more. Let it be observed that the poor creatures are likewise in irons. Newton also wrote in his journal, reflecting on the slave trade. When women and girls are taken, aboard as, are taken aboard a slave ship, naked and trembling and terrified, perhaps exhausted from cold or fatigue or hunger, they are often exposed to the wanton rudeness of white savages. He's talking about sexual assault and rape of these women and children. Can you hear the cries of the children? The prayers and cries of the adults and the children calling out for love and safety and grace. John Newton didn't hear those cries. And although Newton experienced a profound moment of grace in his life, he didn't write that song until decades after he was out of the slave trade in 1773 and when he did write the song, when he finally penned down the words we know now as Amazing Grace, it wasn't because he felt wretchedness for his involvement in the slave trade or as a captain of a slave ship. It was a song he wrote that celebrated God's mercy and grace for him as an individual, John Newton. This moment of John Newton understanding he was well and good and right with the Lord. Bruce Hindmarsh, who wrote a biography of John Newton, comments, John Newton has been accused of hypocrisy for holding strong religious convictions at the same time as being active in the slave trade. And hear this part of the quote strong religious convictions while being active in the slave trade, praying above deck while his human cargo was in abject misery below. Dr. Joy DeGruy, who many of you have seen in some of the videos we've shown in our racial justice workshops and classes, reminds us that to use this hymn, Without understanding the historical context is the denial of the history of slavery and one more way that whiteness changes history to make it more appealing. What's true is that for much of John Newton's life, for much of how he engaged with the world, there was a bifurcation, there was a split He talked about amazing grace, the grace he had experienced, but as one writer notes, what's amazing about Newton's grace is not the effect it had on him, but the effect it didn't have on him. It opened his eyes to Jesus, but not to the presence of Jesus or the divine in his neighbor's. He knew that the gospel, John Newton knew that the gospel proclaimed liberty to captives, and yet he couldn't see that it referred to the captives that he himself dealt in and profited from. Newton's grace, that's the end of that quote, Newton's grace might have been amazing, but it was not authentic grace. Authentic grace that would have allowed him to see his fellow human beings as true human beings, worthy of love and grace just as he was. Based on the research I've done, it was eight years after he wrote the song, Amazing Grace. After that experience of writing the song, eight years later, he began to express regret and remorse for his participation in the slave trade. He wrote a pamphlet about the horrors of the slave trade, and he did begin to end to work it. He worked with William Wilberforce and others to end slavery and the trading of slaves. And perhaps at that point in his life, Newton did have a new understanding of grace, not just in terms of his own personal salvation and that experience of being held in love, but a grace that was available to all. But when the song was written, when he wrote that song, it was not about his own repentance for his wretchedness as a slave trader. It was about his experience knowing God's love in his life. He was unable to imagine that love for others. As we look at grace in the coming sermons this month, this story of John Newton and amazing grace, it surfaces some critical questions for us, doesn't it? When we're talking about grace, are we talking about amazing grace or authentic grace? Are we talking about praying above deck and experiencing a blessing or a moment of grace in our own lives right there above deck, well, beneath us or around us or behind us? There are voices and cries of those who are suffering, those who are in pain, those who are being oppressed. I believe that grace can either be a limited experience, a very personal and profound experience, like it was for John Newton when he survived that storm. It can be that, and it can be that and so much more. It can help us hear. When we have those moments of grace, it can open our ears to hear the cries and the voices of those around us, cause us to re-examine everything, can move us toward greater wholeness and right relationships in our lives. Activist Paul Kivel really helped me come at grace in a new way. He doesn't use the term grace in his description here, but he helped me understand the different dimensions of grace, perhaps. And what I learned reading this about Paul Kivel is in many of his workshops, he'll gather gather a group of people like this, and he'll be doing a workshop on racial justice or gender justice or economic justice, and he will ask participants, what do you stand for? And it's a great question. What do you stand for? And I imagine your voices from this congregation, they would rise up. I stand for marriage equality. I stand for freedom. I stand for the right for all people to vote. I stand for the environment. What do you stand for? And in his workshops, people do actually stand up and talk to one another and say, here's what I stand for. Here's what I'm standing for. I stand for that. And then Paul Kivel, after everyone has sat back down, he asks another question. He says, who do you stand with? Who do you stand with? Paul Kivel remarks, we often ask ourselves and we often answer that first question. Equally important, but often less asked, is that second question. Who do you stand with? Kivel goes on to say, when people of color are angry about racism, my first response is to say, hey, I'm not a racist, I treat everyone equally. But their anger, says Paul Kibble, is not directed at me. They want to know if I stand with them in the struggle for racial justice. He gives another example. When women express their anger about male violence to me and the other men around me, I also want to throw up my hands in protest and say, hey, I don't hit my partner. But they want to know if I stand with them against male violence. Who do you stand with? And I wonder, I wonder if we truly want to experience and amplify authentic grace, if we want to be vehicles of grace, conduits of love and hope and solidarity, I wonder if we have to ask ourselves again and again, who am I standing with? Standing with others It's about removing those masks that separate us. It's about putting our lives and our bodies on the line for other lives and other bodies. Who do you stand with? This week, which many of you know, I'm sure, is the third anniversary of the killing of unarmed Trayvon Martin, I'm asking us and myself, do I stand with people of color? Do I stand with Black Lives Matter? Do we stand with them and many others in the work of creating a more racially just Minnesota? As we reflect on the story we heard, the wisdom story this morning, do we stand with our families and the children of this church as we eliminate our religious education fees, saying we won't turn anyone away who can't pay those fees? It's one thing to say, I stand for a really good religious education for the children of this church, and another to say, I stand with those families and those children. I'll do my part. I'll help eliminate those fees. Who do you stand with? And the invitation I want to leave you with this morning is this. When we sing Amazing Grace, and we will sing it in just a few minutes here, when we sing that song, and when you sing it in the future, I want you to know the story and the history of that song. Remember the story and the history of that song, and ask yourself now when we sing it, and when we sing it, whenever it is in the future, are you standing for someone, or are you standing with someone? Are you above deck, perhaps blind to what is beneath you, or behind you, or around you, or just out of sight? Or are you listening and seeking deeper connections and understandings and wholeness in all of your relationships? Perhaps grace is only made truly amazing when we fearlessly take off our masks, when we stop living divided lives. Perhaps grace is made truly amazing and truly authentic when we know in our bones that we are loved and that that same love extends to every other human being. And we stop standing for whatever it is we stand for and we start standing with our fellow human beings. perhaps can amplify and grow and build a grace that is deep and rich and authentic. May it be so. And amen.